0: Thank you for uh, reading the word for us this morning, and uh, good morning to all of you. Good to see you. There's a movie that I love that I found quite inspiring. It's based on, uh, the, it's a was filmed in 2005, entitled The World's Fastest Indian, based on the story, the true story, of Burt Monroe, who is played by Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Burt Monroe from New Zealand was a speed bike racer. And uh, this movie appealed to me for several reasons. Not only was it very inspiring about someone who set an incredible land speed record on a motorcycle nonetheless. See, the reason I think Pastor Gary and Patty are going to have a great relaxing time is because they're on a motorcycle. Uh, It's an inspiring story about a guy on a motorcycle who, against incredible odds, uh, I mean, Monroe was 68 years old when he set this land speed record. He reached a speed of 201.851 miles per hour, which is just a hair under 325 kilometers per hour at the age of 68 on a on a 47-year-old motorcycle. A highly modified Indian Scout, which was under 1,000 cc's. He did it in 1967 on a bike that was built in 1920. And that record still stands, by the way. Love that story. I also love the location of where he set those records. The Bonneville uh, Salt Flats of Utah place fascinates me. It's about the only place that is flat, straight, and smooth enough to reach speeds in excess of 500 miles per hour on tracks that range anywhere from 5 to 7 miles long. Now, you're probably wondering, what on earth does this have to do with Genesis 41? I thought to myself, if only life could be this way, flat, smooth, straight, can set records. But life, as I'm sure most of us know, is not the Bonneville Speedway on the salt flats of Utah. Life is not a straight, smooth line, but a broken one, interrupted by many ups and downs, Salient angles, if you will, that jut out in imperfect ways, yet all of them in our lives within the sovereignty and providence of God. Such was the life of Joseph, whom we're studying this summer in our series entitled Joseph and the Gospel of Many Colors. You see, a few weeks ago we saw how at the age of 17 and highly favored by his father, God revealed a glorious future that Joseph would have when he uh, was given dreams of his, of his own family bowing down to him as he ruled over them. And today we read about his glorious exaltation as the ruler over the most powerful nation in the world at that time under Pharaoh himself in Egypt, which set the stage for all of those prophecies given 13 years earlier when Joseph was 17 to be fulfilled. But the path was anything but straight. It's a broken line. It was not the Bonneville Speedway <laughs> in the salt flats of Utah. That path was filled with all kinds of ups and downs, the angles that most of us usually don't appreciate, unless there is a clear view of God's sovereignty and providence in all of it.
1: It kind of reminds
0: me of the time when my daughter... Uh, Jessica at the age of 17 she had just gotten her in. and she was excited to go out on a on a on a little road trip by herself so she took her boyfriend at that time who's now her husband Lucas and she said Lucas I want to show you where I spent a good part of my growing up years so they they spent a day in Richmond and they went to the church that I had pastored the place where we had lived the school where she had gone to And they went to Steveston, you know, for lunch, like and all of those kind of places, right? But along the way, she said to me, Dad, this is her first time going out. She says, Dad, what's the best path to get there? So, okay, go up the highway, Mount Lehman, Fraser Highway, Bradner, 16th Ave. I explained the whole, you know, the easiest route. And I said, when you get to the Pacific Highway crossing, I think that's (laughs) Highway 15, 176th Street or something like that. I said, turn right, go north. To 32nd, and then you'll be onto the freeway going into Richmond. Okay, so what do you think happened at Highway 15? <laughs> she, she turned left. Now she's going south, and all of a sudden she's like, Wait a minute, what's all this traffic? And then all of a sudden she's hemmed in and she goes, Oh no, I'm at the border. And she could not get out of the traffic. So here she is, inching closer to the border at the age of 17, with her boyfriend, no passports and uh and so they were they were uh pulled over to the side and they were brought in for questioning <laughs> together separately three different border guards 45 minutes later they're in the states without passports only to turn right around and come back into canada where the uh the border guard was laughing at them and said why didn't you at least spend the day in the states you got here anyway <laughs> might as well enjoy yourself <laughs> Let them back in. Quite a bit later they were on their destination. And you know, along the way for Joseph, there was all of these weird angles that God used in his life. He was hated by his brothers, so much so that they they wanted to kill him. But they abandoned that plan for a supposedly guilt free plan that involved the sale of their brother to a band of Midianite merchants on their way to Egypt for twenty pieces of silver. And there he was sold again to be a slave in Potiphar's house, one of Pharaoh's officials, where he actually prospered because the Lord was with him. But then, falsely accused and convicted of raping Potiphar's wife, he was put in prison, where amazingly he again prospered because the Lord was with him. And having an opportunity while in prison uh, to get out of jail, when Joseph asked Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, a fellow prisoner, to remember him and put, him, put a good word into Pharaoh for him upon his release from jail, all because of a dream that Joseph had cor- correctly interpreted in his life. Um, his hopes were dashed when that cupbearer forgot all about him. And so he sat in jail for another two years, utterly abandoned and forgotten. But then as we heard today, he was miraculously promoted to Prime Minister of Egypt, in what appears to be literally a matter of hours. We don't know how long it took. When he was suddenly remembered by this chief cupbearer and was able once again to correctly interpret a dream, this time Pharaoh's dreams, and he was raised to the prominence of where he that he was given there in chapter 41. What a journey, eh? What an amazing journey. Now the danger in studying the Old Testament, in fact, a danger in studying the Bible really, which is full of so many great characters like Joseph and their journey like this, is that we tend to do a character study and we focus only on that person. And we can come to the conclusion that if I come from the right family, if I am faithful, if I'm good looking, if I'm full of integrity, if I'm patient, if I'm humble like Joseph was, then God will reward me with success beyond measure. (laughs) That is wrong thinking. In fact, the New Testament perspective on Joseph is very, very brief. He's mentioned in Acts, in Stephen's speech, I do believe it is, and he's mentioned again in Hebrews as one of the heroes of the faith. And you know what? In the two very brief mentions of Joseph in the New Testament, his success in Egypt isn't even mentioned. The fact that he was a ruler but rather what is mentioned is his rejection of Egypt in favor of his own people and the inheritance and the land that God had promised to his forefathers. You see, the point of the Joseph narrative, which we're studying here this summer, is not Joseph's success. It's not his jealous, plotting brothers. It's not a heartbroken dad or evil people or even the dreams that Pharaoh had, but rather it is about the sovereign and providential plan of God to save his people and to bring them safely to the land and inheritance that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of which finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. The main character here is God. If you hadn't noticed in this narrative from last week, from this week, or the two weeks ago, the key to this entire journey was the fact that the Lord was with Joseph. We see that going back to chapter 39. In the middle of all of these salient angles that God put into his path, it was the Lord working through Joseph. Joseph who was favored by his father, who was abused and has had his royal robe stripped off his back, who was handed over for pieces of silver, who experienced popularity, then insult, who suffered, was rejected, was rejected, who was a prophet, who began his true calling at the age of 30 as a royal ruler. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Yet never forgot his true identity, his father's family, the land, but kept the seed alive. It was the Lord who was sovereignly and providentially working his plan of redemption. Foreshadowing Christ and the path that God would put him on to secure our salvation. Amazing, isn't it? How the Joseph story so parallels Christ and who the main character really is. So despite all of that, there are lessons and there are principles in the Joseph narrative in chapter 41 for all of us here. Because in his sovereign and providential plan, God uses people. He always has. He always will. He uses people like Joseph. He uses people like me. He uses people like you to accomplish his purposes. So what we have is sort of a joining or a marrying of our will and our decisions that we make in life along with his will. That's why Jesus said when you pray, you pray not my will but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But we make our own decisions. Things happen to us in life. It's a joining of our wills with his. It's, it's, it's this human and divine partnership somehow together fulfilling the plan of God. But please remember this as we pull principles or lessons from the Joseph narrative. Remember this. Our lives are different than Joseph's. And as we apply the principles found in this story, we cannot expect things to turn out like they did for Joseph because he was a different person living in a different time, in a different place than you and me. But let's look at the principles or the lessons Let's look at them in terms of angles. As we apply the principles found in this story here, um, what are some of the angles that God uses in our lives, he takes in our lives to accomplish his purposes? The first angle is this. Silence. (laughs) You were probably looking for something a little bit more encouraging or profound than that, but this is the very first thing that we see in the story. Take a, it, let's back up one verse to chapter 40 and verse uh, 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Chapter 41, verse 1, when two full years had passed. Two full years of nothing forgotten, but not by God. I understand this. I really do. Not in the same way as Joseph, but I understand this in my life. I've been there feeling forgotten. <laughs> Silence. And here's the thing. I would not have understood like I do now, and I, don't, I still don't fully understand things. None of us will, as Paul said. We see things dimly as through a glass, right? About what happens to us in life. But I would not have understood the biblical truth that God's ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts, or that time to God is very different than our concept of time. I would not have understood that unless he had been silent for a period of time in my life. But the reality is, however, that God's silence may very well be the time when he is most at work in our lives, speaking in ways that we are not used to or expecting. It doesn't say what happened with Joseph in those two years there, in addition to all of the years he had already spent in jail. don't know how many that was either. But sometimes the silence is deafening. As I was preparing this week, I came across um, an article that Charles Stanley had written about this very topic. It's called Are You Listening? What We Should Do When Our Prayers Remain Unanswered, When God Is Silent. Stanley says Have you ever felt as if God were giving you the silent treatment? Perhaps you're going through a physical illness, <coughs> excuse me, and despite your prayers for healing, the Lord has not intervened. Or perhaps you're fervently seeking His direction for a major decision. And he's just not answering. At times, questions run through our minds. Is he listening? Does he really care? Why won't he help me? If you've experienced a situation like this, then you are not alone. And Charles Stanley uses the example of Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus died. And it seemed like Jesus was distant and silent and he just wasn't there for them. And... uh, And so he goes on. If you want the full article, I can can send it to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I don't have time. But Stanley says, why does the Lord remain quiet? And he says this. Silent times are often God's means of preparing for something greater. Uh, We sang about it this morning in one of our songs. It said, your grace abounds in the deepest waters. But think about the story of Lazarus, the Lord delayed for good reason. Instead of healing an illness, he was planning to raise his friend to life. In that way he accomplished his father's will and brought him glory. And we're going to see how in Joseph's life it was exactly the same reason that God did what he did in Joseph's life. It was for the accomplishment of God's will and purposes and for his glory. But we don't see that when God is silent and when we're sitting alone in the darkness sometimes for years. And then Stanley offers a few reasons biblically why God may be silent in our lives. I'll just summarize them without going through the whole, all, all of the, the references, but he said sometimes we're not ready to listen. Sometimes unconfessed sin is blocking our communication with God. Sometimes he wants to get our attention, so he remains silent for a while until we're ready to listen. The Lord may be teaching us to trust him. Sometimes God is using silence to mature us. I I believe that this was one of the reasons why God took Joseph through this. As a 30-year-old, Joseph handled his promotion as ruler of Egypt and all of the things that he went through, he handled it very differently than he did as a (laughs) 17-year-old. When he was a little bit cocky and he kind of rubbed it in his brother's face. Right? He wasn't the same Joseph. Sometimes Stanley says he wants us to persevere in prayer. Sometimes the Lord desires that we learn to distinguish his voice. And I think that this is also true of Joseph. Joseph was an amazing interpreter of dreams. Why? Because I believe because he spent all that time with God, listening to him where he was. He learned how to hear God's voice. And so Stanley says, how are we to respond when God is silent? Um, Just a few quick things. He said, it's okay to ask why. To wait for his timing, that's hard. To trust him, to anticipate a more intimate relationship with him, to keep reading our Bible, and to keep praying. What's another angle that God takes in our lives? It could be silence. It could be other ways of speaking. God uses various ways of speaking. Sometimes in the silence he speaks to us. God doesn't speak just one way. That's why it's so important to regularly spend time with him, listening, because when we are silent before him, we just might hear his voice. I think that sometimes God is silent because we're whining too loud to hear anything. And I'm speaking personally, friends. When God was silent in my life and I went through a bit of a a, a difficult time, I I whined about it at times. I am not proud to say that. Um, You whine, you blame, you accuse people, God. And when we're doing that, how can God speak to us? But God speaks in many ways, particularly through his word. I like what one person said, when you don't know what God is saying, you don't have a clear direction, go to what he's already said. <laughs> Spend time here. But in this chapter, we see him speaking in two ways. There's many ways God speaks, but here are two ways. Number one is through dreams. We need to pay attention to dreams because they are valid. Look at Acts chapter 2. In the last days, we, and we are, I believe, in the last days, I believe that biblically. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So we need to pay attention because God speaks. There is no doubt. Marcy and I, uh, my wife and I, have experienced this in many not many, I should say, in some very real ways through dreams. And we'd talk about them. But The crucial thing beyond dreams is the interpretation, right, of dreams. I, I, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. But the first and most important thing we need to understand is if, if it's God who gives the dream, then he also knows the meaning and the interpretation. So please don't make one up. <laughs> don't make one up. Uh, or, much, much worse, don't have one made up for you because you're desperate to understand what God is saying. And I say this in all seriousness, but please don't have one made up for you, particularly by consulting a medium or a, or a psychic or something like that because people do. Don't. Go to God. Joseph made this abundantly clear, abundantly clear. Um, Let's back up to chapter 40 and verse 8. Then Joseph said to them, now he's talking about the chief cupbearer and the bread maker. Uh, He said, uh, the baker and cupbearer, he said, "Uh, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Then in verse uh, 41, verse 16, I think this is one of the keys in our text today. Verse 16. Joseph said to to Pharaoh uh, when he said, Interpret the dreams for me. Joseph said, I can't do it. I love that answer. I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Look at verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh... God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has firmly uh, been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And look at verse 39. Look at the conclusion that Pharaoh came to. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, now the tables are turned since God has made all of this known to you since God has made this all known to you. So we need to go, as we're trying to discern how God speaks to us, we need to go to his word. If God has given you a dream or a vision, and you first of all go to his word, and the dream has nothing to do with the way God has operated in in his word, just dismiss it. God will not act contrary to what he says in his word. So go to him in his word. Then you need to go to his body. Go to your life group. Ask them to help you pray and discern. Go to godly counselors and many advisors. Go to him in prayer and be very, very careful at the end of it all to be very careful what you say, especially about other people's dreams. (laughs) Be very careful, but also about your own dreams. Be discerning, be wise. Secondly, we see God speaking in this passage to uh, the chief cupbearer through memories or remembrances. Um, I want to read verse uh, 9 again. 41 verse 9. Then the chief chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. The word shortcomings in Hebrew literally means sin or offense. I think God brought that to his mind. And he admitted it. The chief cupbearer had sinned not only against Joseph, but against Pharaoh. However, in providence, I believe that God arranges perfect timing despite people's wrongdoing. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I've done things wrong many times. And despite my shortcomings, my sin, my offenses against God and against other people, God in his providence somehow uses things in his perfect timing. So what do do you do? What do I do when I'm reminded of a wrongdoing? What do you do when your memory is jogged, when you realize something? Do you make it right or do you just push it aside and ignore it? It's a challenge for all of us. Another angle that God takes in his life, sometimes it's silence, sometimes it's various ways of speaking, In our lives as believers, it's always through the inner working of his spirit. Verse 38 is absolutely critical to the Joseph narrative. I think verses 16 and 38 are the two keys to this entire uh, uh, chapter. Uh, So Pharaoh asked them, his officials, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the spirit of God? And I believe again, Pharaoh reached this conclusion because Joseph kept pointing everything back to God, that God was up to something here. God placed his spirit in Joseph for that very reason, and that was to bring himself glory and to accomplish his purposes. And so it is with us. There is a difference uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, the end of the age, our age, in, in the spirit of God, and that is this. In the Old Testament, the spirit of God would come and go upon people and in people for specific times and for very specific reasons. He traveled with them in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, then the permanent location, which is a foreshadowing of the fact that God would take up residence in his temple, which is his body, us, one day. So the difference between the Old Testament and our day and age is that God's spirit lives in us as his as his followers as his people 24/7 he won't leave. So that's changed. But what has not changed is the primary reason why God resides with us. And that continues to be to point people to Jesus and bring glory to God. So that his purposes and his will can be accomplished. We see this John uh, Jesus talks about this in John 14 through 16 and again it's in Acts chapters 1 and 2. So Joseph indwelled, filled, led by the Spirit, pointed Pharaoh to God. Pharaoh recognized the Spirit of God in Joseph. Pharaoh came to the conclusion that God was at work. And so the plan and purposes of God unfolded. And nothing has changed, which is why the New Testament implores us to be baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is Christ living in us. And then to continually walk in the spirit. Why? So that the plan and purposes of God can continue to unfold to a world that needs to be saved. The fourth angle that God takes in our life is, this is our part, faithful and wise stewardship where God has placed us. You see, Joseph was in a foreign and a pagan land. And it is amazing how everything that Pharaoh did would pseudo what, the way God would operate. But it was not God. It was Pharaoh. So we have to be very discerning between the world and... Scripture says the whole world is under the control of the evil one, Satan. We have to be real careful the way the world operates to discern that from the way the, the God works, the kingdom of God and not get sucked into the way the world operates. But we're there. So Joseph was in a foreign and a pagan land. And what did, what did Pharaoh do to Joseph? He changed his name. And that's God's way of operating. He changed Abraham's name, Sarah's name. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. Now we see Pharaoh. Uh, cha- it happened to Daniel as well. Changed uh, Joseph's name. Uh, Pharaoh gave him a royal robe, just like Joseph's father had done. A ring. We see people bowing down to him through operating under Pharaoh's authority and kingdom as his subjects look to Pharaoh as a god. We see Joseph taking a foreign and pagan wife and bearing offspring with her. All of these, again, representing how the world under the control of Satan operates but I am amazed that Joseph, in that environment—and this is a tricky balance to navigate—in that operate in that environment, he was faithful and wise in the way he handled himself. Ultimately, being loyal to God while doing what Pharaoh wanted, but being loyal to God and what God wanted, and rejecting the ways of this world. We see this particularly in the naming of of Joseph's uh, children. And I'm going to come back to that. But it was in this environment that God in his sovereignty and providence used Joseph to accomplish his purposes. And Joseph was such a wise steward that the grain he stored up during those seven years of abundance became so vast that it was like the sand of the sea beyond measure. He did an incredible job where God placed him. Could They stop counting. What an amazing picture of God's immeasurable provision and love ultimately in Christ, which is available to the entire world should they come and receive it and be satisfied, be fed, be filled. So my question to you this morning and to me is where does God have you? You see, we are in the world. God has placed us here in this world. We are in it, but we're not of it. Scripture says that we are foreigners. We're aliens. We are passing through this place on the way to a different inheritance, and that is heaven. But in the meantime, where does God have you? Are you faithful in it? All the while maintaining your loyalty to Christ and his purposes? God has us here to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And that is to make available to the world the vast riches of his grace, his mercy, and his love, and his salvation the people that are dying and that's an angle that God will take in your life if you let him and the final angle is suffering I start with silence and I end with suffering like how good is that right (laughs) so I was kind of hoping for a bit of a different angle that God would take in my life but we don't see that here sure there was success but there was suffering I want to read verses 50 through 52 again. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Remember, a big portion of the trouble that... um, Joseph went to was a result of his own family. That's painful. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And I want to say this to all of us this morning, mindful of the fact that there are no undoubtedly people sitting here today who may be going through a period of suffering and silence from God and not to discount or discredit or to minimize what you are going through I want to say to you this morning that God uses suffering to accomplish his purposes in our lives and more importantly for his kingdom this is very hard to understand and it is even a harder pill to swallow but it is true Somebody came up to me after the the first service and said to me, There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon that has never left me, and I want to give it to you because I thought it was so good. Spurgeon said, It is the darkest clouds that bring the most refreshing rain. It's the darkest clouds that bring the most refreshing rain. The naming of his kids, his children, is so significant. You see, not only were they a reminder to Joseph of God's faithfulness and his fruitfulness in the midst of suffering and how God uses hardship to shape his character and to develop Joseph's humility and his dependence on God, ultimately to save many lives. But his sufferings were also a reminder, as they can be for us, that number one, we do not need to be defined by the difficulties of our past. And secondly, that this world, as good as it may appear, as successful as we may be, is the land of our affliction and that we do not belong here. (laughs) You see, the irony of this story is that Joseph, even though he's a ruler in Egypt, was still a slave. (laughs) Once promoted by Pharaoh, he's under Pharaoh's authority. Once promoted by Pharaoh, he had no choice in the matters of what he would wear, where he would travel, what, where he would live. The wife he would marry it was all determined for him. In fact, I don't even know if he had a choice in, in the promotion to begin with. Although I suppose he did if he wanted to be killed or put back in prison. But he did have a choice as to what he would name his kids. And that's significant. And in naming them with Hebrew names, he declared that he had not forgotten where he came from, who his father was, where his true allegiance lay, and ultimately where his people were going. You see, Joseph never left Egypt. He died in Egypt. He was put in a tomb in Egypt. But his father's family who came to Egypt to be saved, they did leave. They were led out of Egypt by Moses into the desert and they were led into the promised land by Joshua whose name in Hebrew means Savior, Yeshua. And it all points to Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior who through his suffering saved us because he never forgot where he came from, who his father was, where his true allegiance lay and where ultimately he was going, leading us ultimately to the promised land. A land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land of eternal rest and peace and provision. Heaven. That's what this story is about. On Friday, um, I found this quite interesting as I'm preparing for my sermon sitting at my table at home, a breaking news report came in saying, LeBron James returns to the Cleveland Cavaliers leaving the Miami Heat. You thought I was going to use a World Cup illustration, didn't you? You see, LeBron grew up in Ohio I played for Cleveland. He left Cleveland, which upset. The fans were choked that he went to Miami to pursue the glory, the ring, all of the success, all of the fame, which he achieved twice in four years. Now it comes back to Cleveland. Apparently all is forgiven. We'll see. (laughs) But, But you know what? What was interesting in this is I quickly read the news report as it came in. Uh, LeBron James made an announcement through Sports Illustrated's website saying this My relationship with Northeast Ohio is bigger than basketball. I didn't realize that four years ago. I do now. Joseph's relationship with Israel was so much bigger than all of the fame and success and promotion that he received in Egypt. He never forgot where he had come from and what this was all about. It's inheritance, the land, salvation. The main point of Genesis 41 is clear. It is all about salvation. It's about God, the main character. I want to read the very last verse again. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Christ, the seed, the one who satisfies our hunger and our thirst, forever. So that through him, Israel, and his son, Judah, through whom Jesus would come, would not die. It all points to Jesus. And it's for us. So this morning, I want to ask you, have you forgotten where you came from? Do you know where you're going? Would you this morning, if you haven't already come to Jesus to be saved, And then would you, led by the sovereign providence of God, despite any of the angles that God may work in your life, allow him to use you to accomplish his purposes? Would you do that today? Would you come to Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you as um, always that what we read in your word is from you. It's about you. You are the main character. It points to you. And I want to thank you, Lord, that the Joseph narrative is so rich and so encouraging to to me, to all of us, that you have a, a, a grand plan in place to save the world. And that you will use whatever angle it takes in our our lives, as you did with Joseph, to make that happen. Help us, Lord. Even as Joseph allowed you to work the angles that you had in his life, help us to allow you to do that in ours. Help us to never forget where we have come from, where we are, and where we're going. And thank you, Lord, that you would offer us salvation free for the taking if we would only come to you, if we would only look to you as the people look to Joseph to be fed, to be saved. So Lord, I pray for that. I pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done through this little place called Central Community Church in our corner of the world in Chilliwack and in Agassiz, that we would just come alongside what you're doing point people to Jesus, show them how to be saved. So thank you, Lord, what we're doing, what you're doing, Lord, through us. Continue to to bless us, Lord, so that many people can come to faith in Christ. For We pray it in his name. Amen.